Dear friends, please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. We continue our study of uh, the first epistle of Peter, the Apostle. This evening we consider 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. I'm going to read verses 3 through 9 to give you the fuller context, but again our focus will be especially on verses 6 through 9. This is the opening uh, doxology of this epistle. Dear friends, let us hear God's holy word. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, You love him, though you do not now see him. You believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Dear ones, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Please join me in prayer. O Lord, our God, send your spirit of illumination upon us that our minds might be opened and our hearts be warmed by that which we consider this evening. We pray that you would fortify and strengthen us in our faith. We pray that you would convict us of any sin that we need to repent of, as we need to repent of all sin that your spirit convicts us of. And we ask that you would renew and fill us with your spirit as we are filled with your word. We ask that you would be with us now, and we pray that Christ would be present in the proclamation of your word this evening. In Jesus' name we pray, and all of God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. The title of my sermon this evening is A Tested Faith, A Joyful Heart, Part 2. There's a lot in this opening section of Peter's uh, first epistle. And so we've been taking our time, we've been kind of going at Presbyterian speed, as I like to say, uh, going through this passage of God's Word uh, and seeking to mine uh, many of the riches that are, are found here in this portion of Scripture. And I do uh, direct your attention once again with, uh, in your sermon outline. There's uh, quite a number of words that, that our young people can uh, be following along with as they uh, listen for those words in my sermon tonight. Well, dear ones, the Apostle Peter wrote this first epistle to a group of first century Christians living in Asia Minor, and these were Christians who faced uh, the threat of severe persecution for their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of their situation, because Peter knew that he was writing to a group of harassed Christians, Christians who were probably anxious and probably fearful about what lay ahead for them, because of that, uh, Peter's main purposes in writing to them are to offer them, first of all, encouragement 
and hope in the face of their trials, and also to provide them with instructions for godly living as those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. In other words, as pilgrims of Christ living in this present evil age. So he wants to encourage them, and he also wants to equip and fortify them to continue living godly lives even in the face of a hostile world. And so on, on the last Lord's Day evening, we considered from our passage how the Holy Spirit, through Peter, seeks to encourage believers in the midst of their, what uh, Peter describes in verse 6, their various trials. And Peter seeks to encourage us by reminding us of the Christian's joy. We, we focused on the last Lord's Day evening, especially on the theme of the Christian's joy. In particular, we considered from this passage the character of the Christian's joy, the reason for the Christian's joy, and the strength of the Christian's joy. But as I pointed out on the last Lord's Day evening, uh, this passage from God's Word presents us with the paradox of the Christian life. That paradox being, namely, that it is a life of joy in the midst of trials and sufferings, even as it is a life of trials and sufferings in the midst of joy. This realistic yet hope-filled picture of the Christian life can help to strengthen our hands and to fortify our souls in Christ as we heed our Lord's call to take up our cross, to deny ourselves, and to fight the good fight of faith as those who are called to bear the cross and to proclaim Christ to a lost and sin-cursed world. And since we focused last week on what this passage from God's Word teaches us about the Christian's joys, on this Lord's Day evening, we turn our attention now to what we learn in this passage about the Christian's trials or the, the testing of our faith. We pray in the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation. God does not tempt us to evil. He's not the author of sin. He doesn't tempt us in the sense of enticing us to do something that is evil or sinful or contrary to his moral will. But God does test our faith. And, uh, and so this evening we consider uh, the testing of our faith, our Christian trials. And specifically, we will consider the character of the trials that we face as Christians, as well as the purpose of our trials as believers. So friends, let's uh, dig into our text for this Lord's Day evening. Let's uh, focus our attention on verse 6, and the first thing I want us to consider tonight is the character of the Christian's trials, the character of the Christian's trials. Notice that Peter writes here, he says, in this you rejoice. What is the this that he is referring to in verse 6? Well, he's, uh, he's saying uh, the salvation, the full and, and free and secure and eternal salvation, our inheritance of salvation that has been secured for us in Christ. He says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Here, this terminology of various trials, this speaks to the character of the Christian's trials. In the New International Version, it is translated all kinds of trials. Now, what Peter says in these verses here is similarly stated elsewhere in the Scriptures, especially in the New Testament. For example, uh, the Apostle Paul says something similar in Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. I'd invite you to turn there to Romans chapter 5. 
You'll notice a similar language that Paul uses. Uh, He has just talked about how we have been justified by faith, and so we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have a a standing in grace, and, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And then Peter goes on, I'm sorry, Peter, Paul here, in Romans chapter 5, it's getting Peter and Paul a little mixed up there, sorry about that, but in Romans 5, Paul says in verse 3, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, we rejoice in our suffering, that, that sounds odd, not because we're, we're masochists, because we enjoy suffering, no, we rejoice in our sufferings, why? Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Again, so there is, a, there is a role for the Christian's trials, the Christian's sufferings and struggles. Uh, and that role includes the development of endurance and character and hope, the strengthening of the Christian's hope. And likewise, uh, James in his epistle says something similar in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Again, I'd invite you to turn there, James uh, chapter 1. Actually, James is before 1 Peter. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. James writes, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing." And so this sounds similar to what Peter is instructing his readers and and the Holy Spirit through Peter is instructing us uh, to do. As Peter says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Now, with respect to Peter's uh, language here, this language of various trials, or again, as the NIV translates it, all kinds of trials, uh, the Bible commentator Norman Hillier explains, he says, The expression, all kinds, referring to trials facing believers, here translates the Greek poikilois, which literally means many colored. So Peter's talking about many colored trials. Dr. Hillier explains, he says, Peter uses the word again in chapter 4, verse 10, to describe God's grace, God's many colored grace, if you will. The only two occurrences of the Greek word in this letter nicely balance, he writes. Christians may have to face all kinds of troubles, but in whatever, quote, color troubles appear, God's grace will always match them and prove perfectly sufficient. In other words, beloved, the character of our trials as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, the character of our trials is multifaceted. Because we experience all kinds of trials. You may be going through a particular trial or struggle in your life, and you may be thinking, no one else has ever been through what I'm going through right now. And I can guarantee you that is not the case. You are not alone. Uh, Our trials, our struggles uh, that we face in this life are are common to our, uh, our fellow human beings, common to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so... uh, we, these trials are described, again, as many-colored. But the inspired Apostle Peter tells us in this epistle that God's many-colored or manifold grace 
is more than sufficient to meet our many-colored or manifold trials. Those trials can take the form of of, of grief or loss. They can take the form of sickness or disease. They can take the form of, of job loss. They can take the form of relational breakdown. They can take the form of of persecution and hostility. Whatever form your trials take, God's grace is sufficient, according to Scripture. Oh, Christian friend, do you feel that you are facing a trial that you just cannot handle? Well, you're right. In your own strength, you can't handle it. Sometimes uh, you hear that saying, God will never send something into your life that, that he won't I- equip you to handle. There's it's sort of a half-truth there. God does send trials, allows trials to be sent into our lives to show us that we can't handle them in our own strength. And these trials are meant to drive us back to the Lord for grace. They are meant to show us, among other things, they show us how weak we are, how dependent we are upon God's grace to sustain us through those trials. Are you afflicted by many and very trials which grieve your soul? or which threaten to cast you down into a pit of despondency, discouragement, or despair. Oh, dear listener, turn the eyes of your faith upon Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. I'm reminded of what the Apostle Paul uh, said in, I think it's 2 Corinthians, where Paul, you know, Paul was a man who was familiar with suffering. He was a man who had endured beatings and shipwrecks. He endured opposition. He endured slander. Uh, He had much joy in his life, but he also had many trials in his life. And there was a particular trial. We don't know exactly what it is, but Paul speaks of it as a thorn in the flesh. And there's various speculations about what that might have been. But what does Paul say? Paul says, I prayed three times for the Lord to remove this thorn in the flesh from me. And what was God's response to Paul? Remember, God said, my grace is sufficient for you. God's grace is sufficient for us. His power is perfected in our weakness. Dear friend, His grace is sufficient to meet your need and to uphold you in the midst of your trials. It's not to say that your trials are going to be pleasant or easy But the Lord walks with us. He is the good shepherd. He travels with us even through the valley of the shadow of death. So let us rest in him. Let us look to him. Let us cry out to him, even as the psalmist cry out to him, sometimes saying, Lord, why? Let us take the words of the scriptures upon our lips in the psalms, crying out to God for mercy and for his grace to sustain us in our trials. And let us look to him for our deliverance. Dear ones, our trials are indeed many-colored. They are many and varied, and as Scripture elsewhere teaches us, it is through many tribulations that we must enter into the kingdom of God. But you may wonder, why is this the case? Why is it, why does God permit, yes, even sovereignly decree, that we, His beloved, blood-bought children, must experience so many trials and testings of our faith before we enter into that final consummated kingdom? Sometimes we wonder, Lord, why did you save me and then leave me here? Uh, Why didn't you just save me and take me home to be with you right away? If you know Christ, if, if you've tasted that the Lord is good, you long to be with the Lord, don't you? 
You desire to be where your Savior is, in his direct presence. You desire to see him face to face. You long for that day when you will see him face to face. And you may wonder, Lord, why can't it be now? Why do I have to wait? Well, God has a purpose in all things. Why does he do this? Well, why does he decree and permit us to face so many trials? Well, we find this question answered in our passage for this evening. And this brings me to uh, the next main point from our passage. Let's consider next the purpose of the Christian's trials, the purpose of the Christian's trials. And we focus especially uh, on, in this uh, point in verses 6 and 7. Again, these trials are described as various or many-colored trials. Why? So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In verse 6, Peter states that we will face the grief of various trials if necessary and if God decrees that it shall be so. And then he gives the purpose statement in verse 7. The tested genuineness of your faith, which is described by Peter as more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What's he talking about when he talks about the revelation of Jesus Christ? Well, in the Greek, it's apocalypsis, the word from which we derive the word apocalypse. This is speaking of the second advent of Christ, the appearing of Christ in his glorious future second advent. See, the purpose of our trials is to demonstrate the genuineness of the believer's faith, refining that faith as gold is refined by the fire so that our Lord Jesus Christ might receive the praise and glory and honor when he returns in glory. Again, as I mentioned, Peter is referring here to our Lord's second advent as the revelation of Jesus Christ. Well, dear ones, ultimately, when trials or testings of faith come into the life of a professing uh, believer. They can have uh, basically one of two effects. First of all, superficial, nominal, or hypocritical confessors of the Christian faith are exposed by trials as phony Christians, quite frankly. Over the long haul, these phony Christians, or as I like to call them, make-believers, in the face of trials, they become embittered and hardened against Christ, or they end up falling away from the faith when persecution threatens them. Not just uh, falling in the faith like Peter did when he denied Christ three times. By the grace of God, Christ prayed for Peter, and Peter did return in repentance. He was, con he was full of contrition for that, that horrible sin of denying his Savior. And certainly, we Christians, we believers do not always respond to our trials in a godly way. But over the long haul, if your trials are driving you toward Christ, driving you back to Christ, they are having a wholesome effect. But in the case of those who do not truly know Christ, who do not truly trust Christ as their Savior and Lord, the effect of trials is to harden them against Christ and in some cases causing them to fall away from even a profession of faith in Christ. 
Our, our Lord Jesus had taught about such superficial or phony believers who fall away from the faith in his parable of the sower. Let me just have us turn briefly to Matthew chapter 13. Let me read verses 5 and 6 of Matthew chapter 13. In this uh, passage, our Lord Jesus is delivering uh, to the crowds. He is uh, delivering this parable of the sower, as it is often called. And he describes some of the seed here in this parable. He says, beginning at verse 5, Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Now, how does the Lord Jesus explain the meaning of this aspect of his parable of the sower? Well, I'd have you turn to the verses 20 to 21 of that chapter. Jesus explains, he says, As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. In other words, he joyfully professes faith in Christ. He joyfully professes to accept the gospel. Yet, notice what it says in verse 21, he has no root in himself. In other words, it's not a genuine uh, I would understand this, this to mean it's not a genuine conversion. Uh, it is, there's no root. There's no root of regeneration. It's an emotional response to Christ rather than a response to Christ that is rooted in being born again. So he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And notice what it says next. When tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. He falls away. You know, someone once said that trials in life can either make you bitter or they can make you better. Struggles, difficulties, sorrows, trials, and tribulations in our lives as believers, these things have a way of exposing our true colors, of revealing what we are really like as professing believers, of bringing to the surface the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. In the case of hypocrites and phony believers, in the long run, trials will expose their hypocrisy and unbelief. But of course, let me just say, beloved, that in some cases, this might actually be a mercy to such individuals. It might be a mercy for such trials may be used by God and His providence to bring such hypocrites and false believers or nominal believers to see the true state of their souls and to awaken them to their genuine need for Christ and thus be used by God to lead them to genuine faith and repentance. Sometimes that happens, and we praise God when it does. But in the case of others, such trials have the sad effect of causing these individuals to further harden themselves in their hypocrisy or self-righteousness or unbelief. Dear listener, if you're uncertain this evening about the true state of your soul before your Maker, I would urge you to cry out before your Maker. I would urge you to cry out to the Lord as David did in Psalm 139, 23, and 24. Let me uh, have you turn there. Psalm 139, verses 24, 25. David, in this beautiful uh, psalm that that speaks in such a personal way of our Lord's knowledge of us, His omnipotence, omnipresence, His omniscience. 
David says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. And we know, brothers and sisters, that the way everlasting is the way of faith in Christ and Christ alone for salvation from sin. And so, dear listener, turn to Christ in true faith and repentance. And he, by his grace, will give you the grace to endure through trials, and he will cause your faith to come forth in the end as gold. So trials can have the effect, in some cases, of exposing uh, the hypocrisy and falsehood of those who are mere professors of faith and not true possessors of faith. But in the case of the true believer, those who truly trust Christ alone for salvation, trials are vehicles that God uses in the lives of true believers to show the genuineness, to manifest the genuineness of their faith in Christ. And this, of course, is what Peter focuses on in these particular verses. He tells us that true believers demonstrate their faith is genuine by enduring through and even rejoicing in the midst of their trials. This morning I read from a passage in Paul's letter to the Philippians, which was one of Paul's prison epistles. And one of the things that is characteristic of Paul's letter to the Philippians is that it is just, it throbs, it pulsates with joy. Even though Paul is writing from prison, even though Paul is in an uncertain set of circumstances, he rejoices in the Lord because he knows that the Lord has a purpose even for his difficult circumstances that he endures and that the Lord would use those circumstances for the furtherance of the gospel and for the glory of his name. Dear ones, our faith is tested and purified through the fiery trials that God brings into our lives. And that's why, again, in verse 7, Peter writes uh, that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, your faith being more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. This assumes that faith will be tested as by fire, as gold is, is uh, tested and refined by fire, so faith is as well. And the purpose is so that it may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, Jesus will get the glory on Judgment Day for the precious, shining gold, if you will, of your faith. It's not faith that you have refined by your own works or merits or efforts or deeds. It's a faith that He in his sovereign purposes, has refined, fitting you for the glories of heaven. Our faith is tested and purified through these trials which God brings into our lives. The Bible commentator, Dr. I. Howard Marshall, who I know I I like to quote from, uh, he's got a helpful commentary. He writes that, quote, Peter indicates the purpose that God has in allowing his people to suffer. Trials test the faith of God's people. Peter draws an analogy with the purifying of metals. Gold is a precious metal, but it can be mixed with impurities, which lower its value and spoil its beauty. Even though it is a precious metal, it needs to be refined. And so it is subjected to the intense heat of fire in a crucible, where impurities rise to the surface of the melted gold and are skimmed off by the goldsmith. 
God values Christian faith much more than gold, which, although precious, belongs to this world and will ultimately be destroyed. Faith, too, must be refined so that it will be genuine and thus redound to the glory of Christ. So whatever God is doing in your life, whatever you're going through, God is sovereignly using that to bring you forth, to bring your faith forth as gold. My dear brothers and sisters, when our gracious Heavenly Father permits us to go through fiery trials, it's not because He's a heavenly sadist who enjoys watching us squirm and suffer. No, we, His people, we are the apple of His eye. We are His precious, adopted, blood-bought sons and daughters in Jesus Christ. He loves us. He has loved us with an everlasting love. He sent His Son to die for us and to rise for us and to intercede for us. But He puts us in the crucible and He melts us through fiery trials tailored to refine us, tailor-made to refine us where we're at. And He does so as a heavenly goldsmith so that He can skim away our impurities. Although it is certainly no fun being in the crucible, and though the trials of God's people can sometimes seem grievous beyond description, we think especially of the, the sufferings of the martyrs in past and present church history, some of the horrible sufferings that God's children have endured. We think about those kinds of, of trials, and, and it may seem like overkill uh, to us. Why, God, we might wonder. But nevertheless, our loving Heavenly Father allows us to go through such trials because He is making us into something beautiful in His sight. We are works of His hands, and He's not through with us yet, but one day He will be done, and He will cause us to shine forth as gold. One day we shall emerge from the crucible, and our faith will shine forth as gold, which has been purged of its impurities. The late uh, Bible commentator William Barclay offered this illustration of the purpose of trials in the life of the, of the believer, that he uses an illustration of the, the athlete who undergoes rigorous training. And Dr. Barclay wrote, the rigors which the athlete has to undergo are not meant to make him collapse, but to make him able to develop more strength and staying power. In this world, trials are not meant to take the strength out of us, but to put the strength into us. Dear ones, what is the end goal, the telos, the, the goal and purpose of our testing, our trials as Christians? The end goal of our trials is, again, that the genuineness of our faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What Peter probably means here by this is that the genuineness of our faith will bring praise to God on the final day of judgment, since God is the one who gives us the gift of faith and who refines that faith in his sovereign purposes. Peter is probably also referring to the fact that we who are believers will be glorified on that day as well, as Christ says to us, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Brothers and sisters in Christ, let us pray that the genuineness of our tested faith will be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the final revelation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. May your trust and hope be found in Him and Him alone. Amen. Let us pray. 
Our gracious Lord and Father in heaven, we thank you and praise you for the joy that we have in Christ. We also give you thanks for the trials and testings that you send into our lives, though some of these trials and testings are unpleasant and difficult. We know that our suffering is not meaningless or purposeless. We know that you have a, an ultimately good plan behind it. So help us, Lord, to uh, plant our, our, our feet upon the solid rock foundation of that promise of yours that you cause all things to work together for the good to those who love you, who are the called according to your purpose. We pray that you would be with us in our trials and testings Make us faithful and cause our faith to, to come forth as gold. In Jesus' name we pray, and all of God's people said, Amen. As we close our time of worship tonight, let's rise and we'll sing together Psalm 30, O Lord, I will extol Thee. Psalm 30. Psalm 30. 